Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. See, as we look at the world today, we wonder how have things gone so crazy so quickly? How has it just become this chaotic thing that is not limited to any one location? It, it just seems like the whole world is in this chaotic state. This is the activity of the demonic. This is what they do. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22, in a message titled, Idols and Demons. Now, here's Pastor Brian. It's not often that we talk specifically about demons. Of course, we do when we come to the subject in the biblical text. But what we're going to see today is that I, I think even if we reference demons, we immediately think of something spooky. There probably is that component to it. But what we're going to see as well is that the demonic can be very sophisticated. And it's not just this creepy sort of a thing. It is the way the enemy operates in the world is through demonic influence. And sometimes that creeps into the church And that's really what Paul is dealing with here. So he says in verse 14, he says to them, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. So when Paul says flee idolatry, he's giving the same command that he had given earlier about sexual immorality. So we've talked much about the problems in the Corinthian church. They were believers, but much of the time they were behaving like they were not believers. They were new people in Christ, but they were often living like they had lived before. And so Paul had addressed the issue of uh, sexual immorality with them, and he concluded that exhortation there with the same word, flee sexual immorality. So just as many of the Corinthians had adopted the culture's views on sex, views and practices that were putting them at odds with God's call to be holy, so they were doing something similar with idolatry. Idolatry, as we've seen, permeated the culture But like sexual immorality that had permeated the culture, it too made its way into the church. And we have seen in looking at this passage that as I pointed out many times, it's a long argument beginning in chapter eight, verse one, going all the way to the end of this chapter. We've seen that there were some that considered themselves strong who had concluded that since an idol was nothing, There was no need to be concerned about the dangers of idolatry. So 
Remember where Paul starts off and he says, I know that we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. So this is the state of this group of people. They're prideful. They're puffed up over the knowledge that they have. So when Paul says something about idolatry, they're like, oh, Paul, look, you know, we're smart enough to know that an idol really is nothing. There's only one God. You taught us that. So their tendency was to downplay the seriousness of the idolatry. And so they concluded that they could even go as far as eating in the idols' temples, and they did so with contempt toward anyone who questioned them. They had a contemptuous attitude toward the people who were bothered by this and thought that this probably wasn't the thing that Christians ought to be doing. And so they just dismissed that. And that was their arrogance that was coming through. So as we pointed out, Paul is addressing this in several ways, having begun in chapter eight, where he told them that even if they were technically right about an idol being nothing, Paul agreed that that's true. But even if they're technically right, if they were stumbling their weaker brothers and sisters, they were wrong and sinning. So that's kind of the gist of the eighth chapter. Then in chapter nine, he showed how he and Barnabas had laid down certain of their rights so as to not in any way hinder the gospel or become themselves disqualified through the unwise use of their liberty. And then finally, in the first part of chapter 10, he warns them not to let what happened to the children of Israel happen to them. The children of Israel, although they were saved out of Egypt, they ended up perishing in the wilderness and never entered the promised land. Why? Because they were not careful about tending to their spiritual lives. And that is the problem with this group of people in Corinth. They're very careless when it comes to their spiritual lives. They're very much inclined to live on the border rather than having both feet firmly planted in Christ and the gospel. So here in the verses that we read, verses 14 through 22, he's going to tell them that there actually is something bigger than the idol that's going on here. He's going to tell them that there is a connection between idols and demons and warn them once again about the dangers. Here it is, the dangers of exercising their liberties to the point of being entangled back in sin as the Israelites were. So, verse 14, therefore, my dear friends. So, pointed this out at the uh, conclusion of the last teaching but you know so Paul loves this group of people I mean God sent him there God gave him a ministry there the Lord used him powerfully to establish this church but again they're drifting away from the things that Paul taught them so throughout the letter there are these moments where Paul is very firm with them 
There's points where he's sarcastic. He seems even harsh. But he's trying to snap them out of their delusional thinking. But ultimately, it's out of his love for them. And we see that here. Therefore, my dear friends. So I'm not saying this just out of frustration or anger. I'm saying this out of love. I'm telling you this because you need to hear it because you can't see that you're in danger. And so, my dear friends, so his tone changes. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. And then I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And now he wants to show them that in worship, there is a connection between the worshiper and the deity that is being worshiped. And he is going to point just directly to worship within the church. And then he's going to go back and he's going to look at worship in Israel. And then he's going to show a parallel with the pagan worship. So what does he say in verse 16? He says, is not the cup of blessing for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. So this is what they understood. They understood that when they were gathered together and when they were partaking in the cup and in the bread, that they were participating with Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. So his, his point is simply this. We get it. When we gather to worship, we are expecting, and rightfully so, that the presence of God is among us. That's what's happening. We're participating in the blood and the body of Christ. In other words, we are having communion with the Lord. And then he goes to Israel as another illustration of the same point. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Among the Israelites, there were a number of sacrifices that were to be offered, but there was what was called the peace offering. And this is the one that Paul's referring to here because the peace offering was an offering where you took your sacrifice. It was offered by the priest on your behalf, but then part of it was given back to you to sit and enjoy a meal that was understood as a fellowship meal. You were now partaking of the same sacrifice that was offered to God. So you were having a time of communion with God. So that was true in the church. That was true in ancient Israel. And so here's what he concludes. Do I mean then that food sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. So he says he's not changing his position that he agrees that an idol, really, in the end, it's made of metal, it's made of wood, it's made of stone, whatever the case might be. The idol itself isn't anything, but here's what they need to understand. The sacrifices 
of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. So the sacrifices of pagans, Paul Paul just comes out and says it, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons and not to God. Now, Paul understood this from the scriptures themselves. The Old Testament scriptures taught this. So whether it was Leviticus 7, 17, 7, or Deuteronomy 32, 17, or 2 Chronicles eleven fifteen, or Psalm 106, verse 37, in those four places, there are references there to the sacrifices of the pagans, and specifically, it was stated that they were sacrificing to demons, not to God. So Paul, on scriptural authority, tells them this is what's actually going on here. And then he says, you cannot drink the cup of demons and the cup of the Lord. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. And then he asks, are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? In other words, he's saying, what are you guys thinking? What he's telling them is, look, if you persist in this, you will bring God's judgment upon yourself. Because in engaging in these idle temples, you are participating with the demonic. Now, that brings up the question, what are demons? What are demons? Well, demons are evil, unclean spirits. The Bible tells us that there is, beyond the the material world that we live in, that there is actually a spiritual realm. There's a, a spiritual dimension in which spiritual beings reside. They live there. And those beings are either holy angels, that's one group, and the other group are fallen angels. Fallen angels who are evil and unclean spirits. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, he refers to them as principalities and powers. And when he uses those terms, what he is wanting to communicate to us is that these spirits, they have dominion over regions. They rule places. Demonic powers, principalities, are having dominion over communities. And that's why we see what we see there. That's why we see the drug trade. That's why we see prostitution. That's why we see murder. And it's true in Watts. It's true in Chicago. It's true in Philadelphia. It's true in all of the places where we see these kinds of things going on. This is the activity of the demonic. And the demonic, since since we're talking about the spiritual realm, the spiritual realm cannot be affected through mere physical means or material means. It can only be affected spiritually. So principalities and powers, Paul refers to them as the rulers of the darkness of this age. The rulers of the darkness of this age. Wicked spirits 
in heavenly places. That's from Ephesians chapter 6. You might want to look at that on your own. But back in the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul speaks about the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So he's speaking about the devil. He's speaking about this, this force that's, that's in the air. It's the spirit of the age. See, as we look at the world today, we wonder how have things gone so crazy so quickly? How has it just become this chaotic thing that is not limited to any one location? It, it just seems like the whole world is in this chaotic state. This is the activity of the demonic. This is what they do. And as I'm saying, this cannot be defeated by anything that we in ourselves can conjure up. This can only be defeated by the power of God. So those are the demons. What are the idols? And I want to consider what are the modern day idols. So we have a bit of an understanding of what the idols were like in Paul's day, at least some of the temples and the different gods and goddesses that were worshipped. And as I pointed out previously, we still have literal idol temples in many places around the world today. So remember, I pointed out that just at face value, without any need to try to take a principle and apply it to where we're at here in Southern California, there are people all over the world that have an idol temple that they go to, they offer sacrifice, they eat a meal, they do that. So the application to them is, is very simple and straightforward. Don't do that. But when we talk about idolatry for us, then we start to wonder, well, what, what, is that, what does that mean today? What does that look like for us today, particularly in the West? Well, maybe you remember Pastor Chuck used to talk about an idol being anything that was the master passion of one's life. An idol was anything that, that took the place of God, basically, became the thing that you were devoted to. Timothy Keller put it this way. He said, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Therefore, one can make anything into an idol. It's true. An idol can be anything. It could be another person. It could be a group of people. It could be a material thing. It can be an ideology. It can be an identity. And what we are seeing in the culture today is an increase in idolatry. That's what's happened. We have become a nation of idolaters. That's the explanation for what is going on. And it's not just limited to our nation. But we 
are steeped in idolatry. And we do have actual idol temples that people go to. And then we have these other kinds of things that people would not even necessarily understand our idols, but that's exactly what they are because they are the ideologies or the identities or whatever it is that they are living for, that they are committed with everything in them too, and that they are believing that this is where my happiness and this is where my fulfillment and this is where my meaning and purpose in life, this is where it comes from. It's happening all around us. Common cultural idols are money or possessions. We could include that. Power, sex, self. Now, the ancient idols, they were these images that represented these ideas. So all we've really done in the modern age is we've done away with the images sometimes, but the ideas are still there. The ideas are still very much in place. You know, in in the Old Testament, the books of Kings, for example, the ministry of Elijah, you have all these references to Baal and to Asherah and these idols that were worshipped in the land. And did you know that these were fertility gods and goddesses But the means of worshiping the fertility gods and goddesses was through sexual activity. So the idea was that these gods and goddesses, because it was fertility, it had to do with agriculture, it had to do with crops and things like that. I mean, they had created these stories where these gods and goddesses actually had sex with the created world and produced the crops and things like that. So their followers were to do similar kinds of things. So sex has been an idol for millennia. It's not new. That's why when we read in the pages of scripture, we find that again, with sexual things, for example, we find that many of the behaviors that are current were happening then. People talk about various sexualities as being progressive. We are progressing in our understanding of sexuality. So we're no longer limited to the idea of heterosexuality. We're no longer limited to the idea of one man and one woman for life. Uh, Those are archaic. Those are outdated. We're progressing. We're discovering new understandings of sexuality. Problem is they're not new. For the month of March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. Can a Christian become demon-possessed? Is there really an unseen spiritual battle behind large-scale world events and the details of individual lives? If you've ever wondered about the unseen spiritual realm and its influence upon the physical world, then this month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will answer these very questions. If you want to better understand the spiritual battle that we're involved in as Christians, how to recognize the tactics of the enemy, and how to live a victorious Christian life, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. 
The book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th, and this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian, you and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. And it is the trip of a lifetime. So we'd love to have you join us. And if you're interested, we're going to have an informational meeting on Sunday, March 20th at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Or you can find out the details if you go online at israel.cccm.com. Yep. We hope you can join us. It's going to be great. It will be. 